you, Brother Garrett. I believe we'll take simple any day. You like that? In fact, I like that so well, let's just follow it up with a simple sermon, all right? Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 11, it will be a simple sermon today. Today, we're going to close out our study. If you remember, back at the first of summer, we studied various journeys in the Bible because summer's the time for road trips. We all hit the road. We hit the road on vacation. We got youth trips and things. It's a time where people are on the move. Well, it's fitting that we close out that study today. Labor Day's tomorrow. That means this, summer's over. Now, I know that school's already started, but, you know, Labor Day is kind of like, okay, we're closing the door on summer. You see, there's uh, two bookend holidays that I like to call them. Memorial Day is the official kickoff of summer. Man, it's exciting. Summertime's coming. Then Labor Day comes, and I'm a little sad because, you know, I like summer. I'm almost a full-grown man. It's been a long time since I've been in public school, and I'm still sad when school starts and summer's all over with. But summer's over, so we're going to kind of close out uh, the last of several trips. We hadn't looked at all of them by any means. We're going to look at a tale of two travelers, two travelers that are totally opposite in terms of purpose, in terms of responsibility, in terms of their morality. These two travelers are so totally opposite. But these two travelers had one thing in common, and that one thing that they had in common can change the direction of life for all of us. And we start in Luke chapter 10, verse 11. Excuse me, Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Luke, Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Would you stand as the scriptures read, please? Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country. And there wasted his possessions with prior living. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and the stories you give us of people who took trips. We know that our whole life is a trip. Whole life is a journey. We ask that you would cause us to look at where our steps are going and how we're traveling. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. The story of the prodigal son, so familiar to us all. And you know the story. We'll go over it because we want to look at this man. Here's a man who couldn't wait to leave home. He wanted to leave home, so he did something that was completely, totally unheard of. He said, Daddy, I want my part of the inheritance right now. Normally, you'd wait, of course, till father passed away. He couldn't wait that long. He couldn't wait to get away from home because that's why he wanted his stuff. So the father cashed in what he had to cash in, sold what he had to sell, and did what he had to take to convert those resources into cash and give to the son. And it says the son took him a trip. And, of course, that follows along with our theme. Now, let's look at what happened here. He got what he wanted, and he took the trip that he wanted. In other words, this is my life. I'll go where I want to go, and this is where I want to go, and leave me alone and let me travel how I want to travel. But you have to understand, he left the family's bank account shortchanged. 
because a lot of the daddy's resources were involved in operating the farm. He had to sell some stuff, and he had to let some things go, and he had to tighten up some stuff so he could convert it into cash. And now the family farm is shortchanged. He left the family farm shorthanded because the kids, and he's a grown son, obviously had a working part in the farm. And of course, they would have a leadership role. They wouldn't just be a farm hand. They would be an important part of the family farm, some sort of a, a management job. Well, now he's one man short. But he left also his father's heart broken into pieces. Bank account shortchanged, family farm shorthanded, and daddy is brokenhearted. Well, you know the story. As soon as he could get far away, he abandoned his morals. He wasted his substance with prodigal living. Now, how do we know that? Well, he shamed his family name. Somehow word got back. Because if you remember the elder son, when he came in, he said, we're throwing him a party? He's wasted the inheritance with harlots. Now, how would he know that? Do you think he just used his imagination? There would be some reason that he would know of the conduct of his brother. You see, we may think we get a long way off, but there's always somebody somewhere. And, you know, somehow, someway, word got back to hometown. And now he had shamed his family's name, and he had wasted everything he had. The family inheritance, that much of it, those resources, gone. Gone. Wasted it all. Threw it all away. That's the first trap. Now the second trap. He took a, a journey to a far country as well. Oh, that's an understatement. The second traveler took at least eight big journeys to far countries. And over 50, 50 major cities in eight different countries. And he traveled a total of an estimated over 15,000 miles by foot and by ship. And so we understand that he took a journey too. And the traveler's name, of course, was the Apostle Paul. You see, quite the opposite of the story of the prodigal son he has, life did have a violent introduction, as we see him in the book of Acts, where he has arrest warrants in his hand after keeping the cloaks of the folks who stoned Stephen. Oh, but then again, we see the power of the gospel. God turned him around. And after God turned him around, he has a life that is totally sold out to the work of the gospel. And we want to look at a summary of this and keep in mind the difference in this man and the first traveler in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Paul kind of summarizes his whole life's journey in just a few verses here as he He's writing to the Christians in Philippi. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. 
For what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count them rubbish that I may win or gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but look at his life philosophy. I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has also taken hold of me. I do not count myself to have apprehended this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the prize, the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I've put everything behind me. I've suffered the loss of all things. I count them all but just rubbish. And the most important thing to me is that I may gain Christ in my life and I press toward that goal. I'm pressing as hard as I can. With everything that I have, I am pushing the goal of the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Life totally dedicated to the gospel. What did he have to show for it? What did he have to show for it? Well, Paul knew the thrill of victory in the race for Christ Jesus. I want us to take a little walk through the book of Acts. You can turn, if you'd like, to Acts chapter 13, verse 48. We're going to start right there. He said he suffered the loss of all things. He suffered the loss of all things, and his entire life is now invested and dedicated to the cause of Christ. And he says, I'm pressing forward. That means with every ounce of his energy, he was moving forward in that goal of representing Christ and bringing Christ to the world. What did he have to show for it? Well, it begins in Antioch. And in verse 48, it says, the Gentiles heard this, they were glad. They were glad because he said, I'm now investing my energies in reaching the Gentiles for Jesus Christ. It says, as many as been appointed to eternal life believed, and look at verse 49, the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. It's a regional thing. The apostle Paul hits town at Antioch. And now the whole region is hearing of Jesus Christ. Verse 14, chapter 14, verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. How many disciples? Many disciples. In chapter 16, we have a story, and it's not crowds and crowds coming to Jesus, but it's who came to Jesus. Paul was thrown in jail. He was thrown in jail after being whipped, and the jailer made sure he was in shackles. Said he thrust him into the inner prison, made sure that he was tied up tight. Well, you know the story. Earthquake came, and that Philippian jailer accepted Christ and his whole house. It wasn't a stadium full of people, but just think of the victory here. The man who at one time was a jailer and who shackled his feet now is saved. And you know what we see after that? He's washing the back of Paul. 
You see, Paul hadn't even gotten decent medical treatment because of the scars on his back. And he had whelps, he had cuts, he had bruises. And now we see this man totally changed. Just like that, the power of the gospel turns this man's life around. Chapter 17, verse 1. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. So Paul's still traveling. In verse 12, therefore many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. Oh, look at the victory there. What does it say? Many of them believed, and not a few of the Greeks. That's, of course, an, a, uh, a figure of speech that means a lot of Greeks did too. So we have a lot of Jewish people accepting Christ, and a lot of Greeks accepting Christ. Chapter 18, verse 1 after these things, Paul departed and went to Corinth. Whoa, whoa, stop right there. You go to a lot of places. There were beautiful places to be here. Corinth was not a beautiful place for a godly man. It was sin city of the Roman Empire. Now, the Roman Empire was, was filled with idol worship. It was filled with immorality. It was filled with all kinds of practices that were against Everything God stands for when it comes to relationships and human behavior. Filled with that. The worst of the worst in the Roman Empire was Corinth. And Paul goes to Corinth. What happens at Corinth? In verse 8, it says, When Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all of his household, many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. Whoa, where's that happening? That's happening in Corinth, sin city of the sinful Roman Empire. And in verse 11, it says that Paul stayed there a year and six months. Wow, 18 months he stayed teaching and preaching in Corinth. And then the book of Philippians, chapter 1, Paul says, The news of my chains and why I'm chained up in Christ has become evident everywhere and is known by all of the palace guard. Again, how many people were this? This was about probably about 2,000 people, not a whole stadium full. But who were these men? They were the secret service of the emperor. The palace guard had the job of protecting the emperor. And Paul said later, all those of Caesar's household will greet you. Can you imagine the victory that he had? Caesar's personal bodyguards were coming to Christ. And people in the family of Caesar, the White House, so to speak, the, the Caesar's house, they were coming to know the Lord. What kind of victory did this guy have? So you're thinking, wait a minute. Here's a guy sold out to the gospel, and victory after victory after victory, we see his journey is quite, is quite prosperous when it comes to the goals he had. And then we had the prodigal son. What they have in common? Well, two things we did notice, of course. Both of them traveled, and both of them lost everything. But one of them threw it all away. And one of them invested everything he had for Jesus Christ. The most notable thing they had in common is what we'll look at this morning just for a few minutes. And we find that as we go back to the story of the prodigal son in verse 14. 
when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And we gladly filled his stomach with the pods the swine ate, and nobody gave to him. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? What's the turning point? What is the turning point in this passage of Scripture, in this man's life? Well, he started thinking about his daddy. Couldn't wait to get away from daddy. So he sold, he, he made daddy sell what he had, and he gathered all his money together, and it says he went, and he parted it up. He parted it up and wasted his money with prodigal or wasteful living. And then, of course, after he lost all his money, guess where his partying friends were? They were nowhere to be found. It says nobody gave to him. And he was sent out, of course, to feed the swines. And a lot of times we say, and he was eating pig food. Well, he wasn't eating pig food. He said he wanted to, but what the pigs ate was, it was not able to be consumed by humans. It was, it was uh, inedible. So the pigs were fat and happy. He is miserable. They were they were filled. They were fed. He's sitting here thinking, wait a minute. The pigs are happier than I am. And I, I don't have anything to eat. And so I can picture in my mind's, mind's eye because when I get, if I'm ever away from home, you know when I get homesick? Night. Sun starts going down. So the pigs are all fed. They're all having a good time, all sacked out of sleep because they're contented and happy. And he's there. He's hungry. He can't sleep. And he starts thinking. Starts thinking about his daddy. And you know what he remembers? He says, you know, daddy was a good man. How do you catch that? He said, how many of my father's servants had more than enough bread to eat? Now, servants sometimes weren't treated real well. But he remembered his daddy treated his servants really well. He said, man. My daddy wasn't that bad of a guy after all. And he began to think about his daddy, and he wanted to go home. You see, this man now had his eye toward home. And that's what he really thought about. He thought about it. He thought about it. He thought about it. I want to go home. I want to go home. And he says, I'm going to rise and I'm going to go to the Father. That was the turning point. You see, Paul also thought about home. We know the passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where he said if this body is destroyed, we have a building of God eternal in the heavens, not made with hands. And he says to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. And so he thought about home, and Paul wanted to go home. In the book of uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 22, I believe, it says, To live is Christ, and to die is gain. And he says, and I'm in a strait between the two. Man, I really would like to go home. Did you catch that? The apostle Paul said, I, I really want to go home. He said, but I'd really love to stay here with you too. I really like staying here with you too, but I really want to go home. And I, I can't really decide, but I do know this. 
Staying here is more needed. I still have work to do. And so no, we know at that particular time, Paul thought about going home. He wanted to go home. He had home on his mind, but he said, I can stay here and work hard because I've got home on my mind. I'm thinking about going home, but I know that home keeps me going. And thinking about home keeps me going. But in time, he became more and more homesick. Till we reach this passage of scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 4, many of us know it well. But it shows what Paul had in common with the prodigal son. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. I'm ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but to all who have loved his appearing. The apostle Paul was now in prison after over 20 years of traveling, 20 years of leading people to the Lord, and he established more than 14 churches along the way. 15,000 miles, 50 different major cities, eight different countries. Now he's in the Roman prison, and he knows he's not getting out alive. And he says, the time of my departure is at hand. You've heard me preach on this before. The word departure here is a Greek word, analysis. It has three major applications. It was a nautical term. It had to do with shipping. And it meant when the ship is unhooked from the harbor and sets out for the open sea for another destination. It also has to do when a prisoner is let out of his cell and he's set free to go home. But the third application really hits home. You see, there's two different times where Paul called people a fellow soldier. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 25, he calls Epaphroditus a fellow soldier. Don't know if you caught it last week, but in Philemon, verse 2, he calls Archippus a fellow soldier. In calling other people a fellow soldier, he said this, we're soldiers together. In other words, Paul was saying, I'm a soldier for Jesus Christ. I'm a soldier in the battle to snatch people out of the jaws of hell and crash the gates of hell. I'm a soldier for Christ. Brings us to the third application. Paul said, the time of my departure at hand. Now that is a Greek military term. And the word departure means this. That's when the order came down from the commanding officer for all of the soldiers in the field to fold up their tents and to get what stuff they had to pack it in, leave the battlefield, and go home. Paul said, the time of my departure is at hand. I am going home. And you see, that's what the two had in common. Prodigal son said, I'm going home. Paul said, I'm going home. Now, here's the so what. Thinking about home was the turning point in the life of the prodigal son 
to get his life back on track and salvage what he had left. Regardless of what he had wasted, regardless of what he had done and the, the damage he had done and the sins he had committed and the hurt that he had with his family, he was willing to come and say, I've sinned against you and I'm just ready to come home. And so what he realized is when he turned and headed toward home, you know the story. There was daddy welcoming him back home. He could go home. He could get it right. Then there's the apostle Paul. Thinking about home motivated him to keep on with the work. His life was on track with God. That motivated him to keep it on track. But also he found comfort in the most difficult of times. He was uncomfortable in the Roman prison. He was hurting. He was old. His life had taken, his body had taken a beating, and he knew things were dark. They were bleak. He was cold because you remember he said, come before winter and be sure you bring my coat. But in all this, Paul found comfort in his darkest of days. Why? Thinking about home. You know, when we take trips, Sooner or later, we turn around, head toward home. We're all in a journey, aren't we? Our life is a journey. I just want to make sure you know that you're headed toward home, heavenly home, a home that's secured with faith in Christ. The journey of life, sooner or later, we start nearing home. But between now and then, thinking about home can accomplish much in our life. Don't know where you are in this message. Paul thought about home. This young man whose life was a total train wreck thought about home, made all the difference. Are you headed for home? You're gonna make sure that's all right? You talk to God or come as we stand and see what number.